Hey, what's up everybody? My name's MJ and you're listening to the MTG in Quarantine Podcast, where the slogan is EDH, Community, Now, and Always. As usual, before the show here, I'd like to give a quick shout out to my local game store, Guardian Games. You can find Guardian Games on the web at ggportland.com. I'd also like to give it another huge shout out and thank you to all the awesome people who support me over at patreon.com slash quarantine. So huge round of thank yous to Mr. Big Benz, Anomaly, Draco Lucian, Nick S, Infamous Fridge, Frugal Brutal, Jen of the Filthy MTG Casuals, Coach J-Row, and Geek Beardly for supporting the show. If you'd like to help support the show and help me make more awesome content, head on over to patreon.com slash quarantine for more information. And you can get your very own MTG in Quarantine branded playmat over at Inked Gaming. That's I-N-K-E-D Gaming.com. Currently have two awesome options, both the logo, full color logo version, as well as the grayscale version. They're both really cool, and they're going to look awesome at your next EDH event. So if you're interested in picking up one for yourself, you can go on over to Inked Gaming. That's I-N-K-E-D Gaming.com. Put in search term MTG in quarantine and definitely make sure to buy one for yourself and for your friends. Again, all the links to that will be included in the link tree that is included in this episode description. Well, it's that time of year again. I mean, obviously, preview season kind of never ends, honestly. But, you know, beyond that, beyond that, it's the perfect time for us to talk about the next upcoming set for Magic the Gathering. And we got a really exciting guest back on here today because it's a set that he's really excited about, and I'm not lying, very excited about, because Mark Rosewater has released his Tumblr post for, the teaser post for this upcoming set. So without further ado, to talk about Commander Legends 2 Battle for Baldur's Gate, I'd like to reintroduce the one, the only, Mono White Border, a.k.a. Peter. Welcome back to the show. Hey, MJ. Thanks for having me back for uh, definitely the set I've been most excited about since uh, its announcement, what, last year or something? I feel like your excitement's kind of an understatement there, Peter. I think you've been obsessed with uh, AFR Adventures in the Forgotten Realms since it came out last year, and it's no surprise that you really wanted to, to talk about this with me today on this show. Yeah, I basically have tuned out every other magic set since <laughs> <laughs> Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. I, like... You're like, preview season never ends. I'm like, what are you talking about? The last one was like two years ago or something? That I mean, it was forever ago. <laughs> Come on, Peter. Preview season never ends. That is an undeniable fact about what we do here. It does if you put your blinders up. <laughs> Come on, Peter. I'm a content creator. I'm a podcaster. I have to talk about every set. So Yeah, of course. Know. Yeah. So to be fair, I, I kind of have to pay attention. And, and You're go stuck to in the never-ending loop. Sure, sure. Anywho, before we get started here, Peter, you do have a blog, and I think this is the perfect opportunity to tell everybody about that if they haven't heard about that already. Yeah, so I have a blog. It's monowhiteborder.weebly.com. It's got a bunch of stuff about Mono White on it, uh, Mono White Deck Diary, where I, I played a Mono White deck for an entire year. Um, and then you can also find stuff, more updated stuff, more... Uh, recent stuff uh just on twitter at model white border all right but again i know the listeners out there are not here to listen about the blog or me just talking about other sets because they're definitely here to listen to battle of Baldur's gate so let's get started shall we got the teaser post up there peter i do all right so um again for everyone who may be new to listening to these sorts of episodes my guests and I always go through the teaser post one bit at a time. We basically kind of trade off on things we're interested in taking a look at and talking about. And it's a really interesting conversation, mostly because I actually haven't looked at the Tumblr post before recording this episode. So everything you hear is a brand new idea from me, something coming off the top of my head, totally impro improvised. It's just like, whose line is it anyway? It's just more like, whose spoiler is it anyway? So... We're just going to go with that. It's going to be really cool. And Peter, why don't you get us started off? What is one thing on this Tumblr post you really, really want to talk about first? Well, I think what we're supposed to do is begin at the beginning. And the very first thing here instantly captures my attention. A returning, 
a returning mechanic that feels apropos for D&D makes use of a new card type. I feel like the logical first step to think about when you see this is think of party, but party does party doesn't use card types. Party uses subtypes. You have to have a rogue, warrior, wizard, cleric. Um, so I don't know how that would use a new card type. Um, I also thought of learn using a new card type, like using instant or sorcery, but learn doesn't feel apropos for D and D. Um, I don't know if there's any if there's any mechanic that really calls out to you, MJ, that felt like a D and D mechanic that they kind of missed on. I I feel like it has to be something relatively recent that people have just at the forefront of their mind for for mark to say apropos yeah i mean honestly peter this really screams venture to me um oh duh (laughs) yeah yeah and and and, of course of course and the reason i say that is i would consider the dungeons themselves to be kind of a new card type and the fact that they're tokens which we've obviously seen before but the fact that they're interactive tokens too, I think kind of makes it a bit of a difference. And I really like the fact that you brought up Lesson there, Peter, as well. Because, you know, that basically did provide the concept of a of another side deck, a mini deck, if you will. And, you know, the, the fact that these tokens, the, the existing three dungeons, do fit in kind of that same sphere, but kind of not, uh, definitely make me think, especially since it's at the top here, that, we're, I mean, we're, we're definitely going to see Venture, obviously. But uh, if there's a new card type here, is there perhaps going to be something like Dungeon 2 Electric Boogaloo or something that they were supposed to expect? I don't know. Well, so there, and there also is a new card type that was spoiled. I think they, it was like very initial product description that kind of comes on the packaging. And so when they showed the packaging, it had this product description and it mentioned the new card type of background. So this could be alluding to backgrounds, which is, if you've ever played 5th edition, it's something that helps give your character kind of some unique abilities, make them a little bit different based on what background you have. In the base 5th edition book, you can be like a hermit, or you can be an acolyte, or um, an urchin, so somebody doing stuff on the street. So there's a bunch of these backgrounds. So that could be the new card type, too, and maybe that pairs with Venture in some way, so you can customize your D&D journey a little bit more. I don't really know, but yeah, it definitely plays into a background which we know literally nothing about at this point. And uh I have no I have no guesses as to what background could actually be. Well, I mean, if if we're looking at what was done in AFR last year, we did have all of the class enchantments which, you know, it's not that we haven't seen these before. The the level up enchantments effectively, the, yeah. the different classes. And those are ones we'd seen before, but perhaps not necessarily in that manner for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually, I, I'm not, I'm not sure. Was that a new mechanic last year? Technically the, the enchantments with the level up ability or, or am I mistaken on that? No, I think you're right because level up originally appeared on creatures and they got a level up counter. So <laughs> enchantments leveling up is completely unique. So could that indicate that there is a level up mechanic on perhaps an artifact or I guess that'd be the only remaining card type to not have level up would be to level up an artifact. Unless you want to go really big brain here and all of a sudden start doing level up on instance or sorceries. <laughs> <laughs> or well, that's well, just kicker. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I don't know there, Peter, or, or maybe, or maybe even planeswalkers too. Who knows? That would be another very interesting design space to, to look could, at as well. Could you imagine though, a planeswalker, like they have to like split it in half. So there's the loyalty abilities on one half of the card. And then separately, you're also tracking what level your planeswalker is on another half of the card. Hmm. So Ooh, many or what if, if we want to get really crazy, I guess you could do like your planeswalker has a passive ability that says, you know, pay two mana, level up, keep track of that with a some sort of level counter. And then the loyalty abilities are like plus one, draw a card. If X planeswalker is level three, draw two cards instead, or draw a card for each level on X planeswalker or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it could work. <laughs> 
All right, let's go to my first one here. And again, I'm, I'm just seeing these things for the first time, so I'm trying to parse out what seems really interesting from what's not all that interesting, or at least not necessarily for this, this first discussion. But I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention a 10-10 creature with flying and trample that you can cast for, I'm assuming, one green mana. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the fact is, obviously, that green really struggles with... Uh, with flying especially big creatures trample yes but flying typically not and the fact that you might be able to cast such a large creature for a single green mana kind of makes me think that we're potentially seeing a very similar case to the uh, card from streets of new capenna that i cannot remember the name of off the top of my head that is 13 black black to cast but obviously has a major major cost reducer printed right on it so it does make me wonder what kind of hoops you may have to run through to be able to try to be able to cast this creature for a single green mana. And honestly, if if we've seen anything lately as with treasure mechanics, this there, there seems to be a 50-50 chance that this will have something to do with the amount of treasures you have or the amount of treasures you've sacrificed this turn, etc., etc. That's just kind of the directions green has been going since AFR with cards like Old Gnawbone. And uh, that would definitely kind of fit with the all the treasure support we've seen here recently yeah it's fun to kind of think about what condition would let you get a 10 10 for one green mana i mean i feel like it's got to be something outrageous i I could see it being something like you have to tap a bunch of creatures so it's convoke-esque in that way or to get a 10 10 but i imagine i don't know this seems like the type of green card that I would actually really like, but it's going to be really weak generally. Like, it's just going to be a big beefy body uh, for your commander deck that wants a big beefy body. But um, it's probably not going to do anything crazy, which I think is perfect. I don't want a super strong Baldur's Gate Commander Legend set. I'm like, yeah, tone it down. Give me, give me weak commander cards. <laughs> That's what I like to see. Yeah, and, and, and that definitely kind of tracks with what we saw from the Tarask, especially from the last mm-hmm. set, too, is that it, it wasn't overly busted. Um, and that, Yeah, it'd be kind it, of cool if it was a Tarask 2.0 kind of card as well. Mm-hmm. You know, big, horrifying, world-ending threat kind of thing. It's still a 10-10. Yeah, it is a 10-10. It's going to be scary. Yep, yep. I don't know. What, what giant flying creature in green exist in dnd i i have no idea again spoiler alert for everyone out there i am a noob in dnd so i have no idea who the characters are no idea really much about the lore i barely know how the game mechanics work <laughs> in, in, in in a lot of ways so um yeah we're we're really grasping at straws in the lore here so again please don't feel like we're we're intentionally omitting anything because I guess we're just really not as much into that as a lot of folks. That's okay. Um, we're still going to definitely enjoy the set here. It's just uh, a lot of the lore things are definitely going to go over our heads. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of D&D, but I've traditionally played in homebrew campaigns. So when my love for Adventures in the Forgotten Realms is more related to like seeing the D&D aspect of the characters rather than the lore aspect of the characters. But, you know... Now that we have two sets, we have an Adventures in the Forgotten Realms set and a Baldur's Gate set, I'm like, man, I should really kind of try and read some of these and get the lore background and try and learn a little bit more. Uh, but we'll see if it ha- we'll see if it happens uh, for Baldur's Gate. I know with Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, they made unique characters or unique to magic. Nadar, Hama, Varus are all characters unique to the magic part of Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. Um, so they didn't need any lore. So I'm sure they're going to do that for Baldur's Gate as well. All right, Peter. What is your second point on here from the Tumblr post that you really want to talk about? Uh, I'm going to talk about... I got to talk about this card because it sounds... Uh, it sounds like a mono-white card to me. It could possibly be mono-red, but it really feels like a mono-white card. This spell costs one less... This is a line of rules text on card. This spell costs one less to cast for each opponent you're attacking. So kind of like a melee-style trigger, if you're attacking all three of your opponents, this spell is going to be a lot cheaper. I'm kind of imagining it's going to be like a four-cost spell um, that becomes a one-cost spell if you're attacking all three of your opponents. And then potentially offering, like, 
you know, my hope would be it's kind of a cool mono white finisher, maybe. Um, or even just any color finisher, since it is costing one less, it has to be assumed that there's some colorless mana costs in there. But some sort of finisher that lets you kill all three opponents at the same time, white historically has a little bit of trouble with that. You know, cards like Akroma's Will really assist in a white player being able to kind of push through that last chunk of damage. But a uh, really cheap spell, Akroma's Will is four cost, so a really cheap spell that has a similar effect, a uh, strong effect, or a spell that can become cheap with having a strong effect uh, sounds pretty appealing to me if that's what this is alluding to. For sure, for sure. And, and again, you're right with the melee trigger. Is We've typically seen that with giving creatures plus one, plus one for each uh, in each separate instance of melee. And the fact that this would be a cost reduction definitely opens a little bit of new ground, especially in, again, red and white. Yeah, I, uh, I think getting sneaky cost reduction from attacking just huge huge boon for all of us combat oriented oriented <laughs> players so getting a cheap flashy spell and it's you're attacking not being attacked that's something else too it's like it's not waiting for an opponent to block it's not waiting for you to be attacked it's you get to decide when you cast the spell and when it's really cheap for you to cast it so both enticing options whether it's a boros card a mono white card a mono red card should be something pretty sweet if you can get it for one mana hopefully Mm-hmm. All right, number two for me. Um, wow, that, that'd be interesting. How about we'll go with this one? I, again, I'm going to go straight back to the just things you can expect category. So if anyone's following along the very top category here. And I really, really wonder what they're going to do with a card that enhances all creatures with mana abilities. Obviously, we know that mana dorks are extremely important. You have your Lanor Elves, your Findhorn Elves, your Birds of Paradise, your Ornithopters of Paradise, and a million other random cards in along that similar vein. And the fact that you can enhance all creatures with mana abilities could go in multiple ways. But I, I'm just personally, I feel like even though we've had the, the concept of modified uh, come around recently in the new Kamigawa Neon Dynasty set where, you know, any sort of plus one, plus one counter, or just any counter counts as a modified creature. This says enhances. So I'm wondering if there will be anything, if this will be anything that will make uh, Mana Dork tap for double. It seems like we've seen something like that before. If we have, I don't remember what it is, but the ability to allow for this mana to potentially double, triple, something like that, I don't know. Or it's entirely possible that these mana abilities is not the generation of mana. It could be entirely possible that this is something like an activated ability. So you're starting to look at more Zerd of the Dawn Waker territory here. So I'm not really sure. I would want to say it has something to do with mana dorks, but when it says mana abilities, you're never quite sure. What are your thoughts on this, Peter? Yeah, I am so in line with you that this seems like an intentionally vague wording to use the word enhance. Uh, all creatures with mana abilities. So it doesn't sound like it's an anthem. You know, it doesn't sound like it's putting a bunch of counters on it. It sounds like it's doing something to modify those mana abilities in some way to make them better. Um, you know, I feel like it probably, I feel like it just being like creatures that tap for mana can tap for any color of mana would be a little bit like that seems too low on the totem pole for could it to, be, though, to make the right. The, it could be, it could just be something simple like that, but I'm definitely in line with you. Uh, Leyline of Abundance is kind of a card you were alluding to earlier where your mana generating things tap for double. Um, Kinnon's another example of that. So true, true. Double mana, double mana on uh, mana creatures or creatures with mana abilities definitely sounds like it sounds like something they would print in a commander set for sure. That's what I'll say. So um it definitely it's feeling to me like a mana doubler of some sort but it'd be i mean it'd be really cool to say something totally unique like every time you tap a creature for a mana ability exile the top card in your library or something you know something <laughs> a little bit unique or whatever i don't know oh man yeah it, it definitely sounds like enhancement to the creature so it's not something the creature is doing or something outside the creature it feels like it's something related to said creature and, and again mm -hmm probably doubling a mana it makes me wonder that depending on the cost and exactly what it's doing if this could be 
one of those cards that becomes CDH playable too, because there is a proliferation of mana dorks in that side part in that part of the format as well. So just something to keep an eye out on uh, for for that card specifically. All right, Peter, what is number three for you on today's Tumblr list? So I kind of had a realization. This didn't leap out to me at first because, like I said, both of us don't have a lot of lore knowledge. But I kind of I thought about it from a different end, and suddenly my mind started turning. So there is, uh, in the same category we're in at the very top, there's three legendary creatures that are gods. Um, I don't, I'm sure that whatever gods these are are going to be specifically Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, uh, Pantheon gods. But my question is, every god has had a unique, you know, criteria to it. So the Theros gods had devotion to turn them into creatures and they were indestructible. The Amonkhet gods were indestructible, and you had to meet some some sort of condition. So Kefnet said have seven cards in hand. Hazret said have only one card or less in hand. And then the um, God Eternal shuffled into your library. Um, so there's all these different ways that the gods are expressed. I'm kind of curious how they're going to express the D&D gods. I have a feeling that they're going to be somewhere in the middle of the Amonkhet gods where they're hard to kill and the Kaldheim gods where they feel kind of um, mortal in a way because so in, in Kaldheim the gods could be killed that was very in tune with Norse mythology in Amonkhet it was very difficult to kill the gods they had indestructible that was very in tune with Egyptian mythology I kind of think there might be something in the middle because in D&D, the pantheon of gods tend to be extremely powerful entities, but they tend to, in a lot of ways, feel very human, like almost very ordinary in some aspects, very relatable in some access, kind of like um, how the Greek gods a lot of times would like come down to earth and like present themselves almost as normal humans in order to you know have some sort of influence over the people in the world and people wouldn't necessarily know they were talking to a God right away until the God did something terrible to them. So I'm kind of interested in how they're going to express that with these. Maybe they're going to be transformation gods is something I could think of, or, um, you know, maybe they'll just be creatures that, you know, you have to level up into Godhood maybe or something like that. Maybe they start as very simple and then they get stronger over time. Um, I don't know, but I do think that they're, I'm really excited to see what new technology they're going to use to represent gods in a and d set. What do you think, MJ? Have any ideas of what a god could look like? Maybe not, you don't have any D&D experience, but maybe just generally, have you ever had any thoughts about uh, different god mechanics? Not really. I mean, and, and again, I, I've played like a dozen sessions of D&D, but again, you know, going into the lore here, I, I'm with you. I have no idea exactly how they would play this up. But from what I do understand from reading the, uh, the Dungeon Master's Guide anyway for 5e, there's a lot of ways that they could certainly go with this. So I'm not exactly quite sure if this is going to be, if they're going to be drawing directly from the source material. It feels like they'll be drawing directly from the source material, right? Yeah. So we'll probably see something that is fairly well understood um from from the D lore but again as far as trying to design a god all i can say is likely uh some sort of downside on there Ooh, okay yeah, yeah. with with indestructible and again it's yeah. really good how you were able to go through each of the different uh different blocks of gods let's just say and say that there was a some sort of downside printed on all of them that made them a little bit difficult to use a little bit aloof i would say mm -hmm. so yeah and some some kind of downside i mean again since we've seen so many treasures in this set wouldn't it be hilarious if you had to have like uh three or more treasures for a god to be a <laughs> god or something to be a creature you have to pay the god off <laughs> yeah it's, it's like hey let's bribe the god I, I i don't know i mean we do have the concept of the patron mechanic in yeah. uh in D D. So it's entirely possible that, well, obviously, well, you wouldn't have to bribe them. That's more of a new Capenna thing. But um, potentially the idea that uh, they would be bestowing something upon your other creatures, maybe, mm -hmm. which is not something we've really seen from a god before. 
four. Um, none of the other gods really, except for the god Eternals. Um, actually, you know, now that I think about it, really, Ronus, god Eternal Ronus is pretty much the only one that actually, only god that ever really had an effect on your other creatures, if I'm correct on that. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, I do really like the idea that you're kind of coming down to of like your god kind of like you cast a god and then maybe that god has like an activated ability that kind of makes a creature they control that you control their champion mm -hmm. and so once you have that then your god kind of comes online but if they kill your creature that's you know carrying the sword of god x then <laughs> your god goes back to being uh enchantment or or not being yeah. able to attack or block or something so so you think we might be seeing some sort of mechanic going maybe back to the top that might be someone like soul bond too <laughs> that'd be gas yes yeah, soul bond god let's go <laughs> or maybe not soul bond itself but something soul bond-esque yeah, which similar. could could maybe be a returning mechanic that would uh, make use of a new card type we i don't know but uh anyway yeah so so that that's uh my thought on the gods bit anyway uh, as far as the third one that I'm interested in, I just have to kind of look here. Um, okay, here, here's an interesting one. Uh, if you control neither creature, draw three cards. This yeah. definitely sounds to me like an arena effect in a way. Um, and, and for those who don't know what arena is, it is a very, very old land that has no mana abilities and just has one ability. It says pay three and tap it and force two creatures to basically fight each other in the arena. And, uh, and now that I'm talking about this, I can already uh, think about the arena music from uh, from Star Trek, the original series, is, is now playing in my head. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it, 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 this seems like a really interesting kind of effect where you're able to sucker two of your opponent's creatures into doing something uh, against each other, whether that is some sort of fight effect whether that's some sort of a swapping effect, I, I guess, or uh, I I don't know. We, we've seen some things that kind of go in this territory before, um, but again, the fact that you can draw three cards makes it sound like you really have to jump through a lot of hoops. Sounds like a blue card, definitely, though it could be black. Um, but definitely sounds to me like some sort of blue artifact or blue enchantment that would do something like this. So my bias is going to come out here, but I think this is a white card again. I think Whoa. this is a card. I think this is a card that buffs, uh, buffs your opponent's creature. You can buff your opponent's creatures with it, or you can return them to the battlefield and draw draw cards, or you can target your own stuff, buff your own stuff, and then you miss out on drawing cards. The precedent for this being a a card that came out in one of the Innistrad sets recently, Sudden Salvation. It's a two white white for a card that reads you can return up to three uh, creatures that were put in the graveyard from the battlefield this turn to the battlefield. For each creature return this way that you don't control, you draw a card. So you can return three creatures and opponent control and truth, draw three cards for four mana. Uh, you can return two of your own and a creature your opponent controls to draw one card and return two cards to the battlefield. It's a really neat card. And this gives me a feeling something similar, you know, uh, like a three mana up to two target creatures gain indestructible and then you draw three cards or something like that um i don't know what the flavor would be of a card like that but it just gives me a that vibe of the mono white card draw that everybody groans at and then over time you slowly get more and more people being like hey this card's actually good hey this this card's actually pretty good like hey this card's pretty good like so eventually people start coming around to it but that's that's the vibe I'm getting from this line of text. Fair enough. Okay, moving on, number four, Peter. What you got? Uh oh, man. I gotta do right underneath of it. You don't lose the game for having zero or less life. I, I thought just, you. Would. I just love those effects. I absolutely love those effects. I don't think this one's a white card, though it could be. I don't think this one's a white card. This sounds like a mono black lich card. Liches are. Uh, notorious in DD, you have to have some sort of phylactery um it would make total sense that this is literally a black enchantment that's like lich's phylactery or something similar and prevents you from losing the game when you have zero less life but comes with some like 
horrifying drawback of exiling your stuff slowly over time or exiling cards from your library or something terrible that you do instead of losing the game. Um, so, but I, I mean, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for uh, the Lich cards and magic. The Lich, I have a soft spot in my heart for Liches and D&D. So that's the vibe it's giving me um, for not losing the losing the game for having zero less life. But I don't know if you have any different thoughts on that, MJ, or uh, or concerns about another <laughs> not losing the game card existing in Magic. Oh, man. I mean, the, the first thing I really think of here is uh, our, our good friend, Coach J-Ro, who does have a Lich deck, effectively, mm-hmm. or, or, or a bunch of Lich-type effects in that deck. And I'm, I'm not going to go into that in particular, but... Again, there's something to be said for having more of these in the game. They're definitely interesting. And I will say for the record, there is actually a white card that does this sort of thing. But I can never remember what it's called. It's an older card. But Phyrexian uh, Unlife no, does it. There is definitely a... definitely a, I mean, Actually, yeah. Phyrexian Unlife would too. So... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really trying... I'm, I'm blanking, on the, blanking on the card right now. But I know there's a card in white that does Transcendence? Transcendence? It's probably that. that. It's probably that, yeah. That's the one where if you gain too much life, you lose the game. Yeah, that that <laughs> one, yeah. That one's cool. I have that in my binder. Yeah. So, so, so it's not like we haven't seen those before, but you're right. It's probably in black, and it's going to have to have some ridiculous downside. Uh, this coming from someone who has uh, taken someone out with a mortal coil. <laughs> Um, oh my gosh, MJ, <laughs> you're kidding me. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not kidding you. I took someone out with a mortal coil once. Nice. Yeah, I'd love to see this on an artifact too. That'd be great instead of an enchantment like it normally is. Yeah, uh, yeah. The funny story about the immortal coil is it, um, I was playing with a friend a couple of years back and, uh, you know, in, in the before COVID times, obviously. And I, I was running my very now defunct uh, Zancha deck. And I had that in there just kind of for fun. And the idea was to try to at least have one card in my graveyard. And so I don't die to a mortal coil and then use a harmless offering to just give it to somebody and, mm-hmm. you know, make things happen. And it actually worked because they had no cards in their graveyard and they lost on the spot. So that's um, fantastic. But but after that, I realized eh, it's not really what I wanted to do with that card. So it's just been sitting <laughs> in the in the box for a long time but always have the story anywho uh number four for me is going to be okay here here's another one that i think a lot of people are really going to want to talk about you may cast your commander from the command zone without paying its mana cost this is something we've seen on a creature before i can i can imagine the creature in my head and I am really blanking on this because I want to call it Mana Geode, and I know that's not right. Yeah, it's Geode Golem, I Geo think. Geode Golem. Okay, yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah. And, yeah, so, so that that's a five-cost creature. It's a 3-3, three, three, I believe, and it has the exact same kind of text on here. So we've seen this on a creature before. Um, Command Beacon was recently reprinted. I believe that was in the last Commander Legends. So yeah, it was. So we're, we're seeing a lot more of these effects, which are important because, obviously, if, if you followed any of the discourse... Um, there's a lot of discussion about very expensive commanders in terms of mana cost being very difficult to play. And being able to cast your commander from the command zone, especially after being killed a couple times or removed a couple times without paying its mana cost, could be huge. But typically it requires you to telegraph your play. I mean, command beacon will just get the card to your hand, but to be able to actually get it out of the command zone in onto the battlefield, yeah, you really have to telegraph that. And it's like, I feel like it's probably on a creature, but it it might not be. Um, I suppose we could see a very overcosted eight or nine mana sorcery do something like this, where, you know, if you've done X things, maybe, uh, maybe this happens, you know, maybe, and again, this is just me really reaching here. Maybe we'll see some of like the, that storm cycle that we saw, you know, back in, what was it? C14, C15, something like that where you know it where the spells got copied x times for how many times you'd cast your commander from the command zone that game and maybe we'll see something like if you've cast your commander two or more times in this game do x and then you can cast your commander from the command zone i i don't know i'm i'm just really spitballing here but 
that'd be kind of cool to, to see something on an instant or sorcery that's just super overcosted. And a lot of people are going to say, this is terrible, and then totally be a really good card that ends up being $10 like six months after the set drops. Yeah, I uh, I would love to see more cards that similar to the ones they did in the Innistrad Commander decks that rewards you for having an overcosted commander. So if this is the type of card that is like, hey, you have a six-mana commander, you can get into your hand for free, that'd be really cool. Rather than like rewarding the player who has a two-mana commander and they cast it three times and it died three times and now they get it back even though it's super expensive, instead rewarding uh, the player who sank a bunch of mana into their commander and it died right away and giving them a chance to get it back for free would be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. obviously with some sort of punishment too i mean we don't want people just casting like zakamas for free or anything <laughs> sure sure that yeah that, that that's pretty messed up in a lot of ways all right peter so let's move on to the flavor words again yeah, flavor words this is a really this is a really funky set of spoilers or i shouldn't say spoilers but teasers right here and the fact that these really aren't what we normally see in a tumblr post from mark rosewater so what are your thoughts on these? So I so I know I recognize a few of these because these come from a lot of different spaces in D&D. Um, you have Bigby's Hand as a spell. Um, you have something like uh, Devour Intellect, I think, is a monster ability for Mind Flayers, I believe. That uh, don't right, quote yeah. me on that. That's so right. they... I, I love flavor words. I really like them in Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. I'm really excited that they're bringing them back. I think it makes total sense to bring them back. Um, you know, I, I, I'm really excited to see how they interpret some of these because, like, something like Bigby's Hand is a pretty recognizable spell um, if you do play D&D. Um, do you have any guesses to what Bigby's Hand does, MJ? I have it pulled up so I can read it to you. If you <laughs> I want. have zero idea. All right, here's the description. You create a large hand of shimmering, translucent force in an unoccupied space that you can see within range. The hand lasts for the spell's duration and moves at your command, mimicking the movements of your own hand. It's an object that can be hit. If it drops to zero hit points, it's, the spell ends. And uh, basically, you can do a bunch of different things with it. You can smack people with it. You can push people with it. Uh, you can grab people with it. And then uh, you can use it to, it looks like, block, interpose your, itself between you and a creature you choose. So basically, you can summon this giant hand to fight for you <laughs> and do things for you. So, oh, my God. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they represent that on a card. Because the, the implication, I feel like, with these flavor words is that that's going to be on a permanent. So like maybe it's an artifact that like summons Bigby's hand and and taps something down so the hand holds onto it all the time or something like that. Um, so yeah, that'll that'll be really exciting. Is there any of these that you're especially keen on, MJ? That you want me to to look up the spell for? Oh man, I mean, oh, now that you mentioned Bigby's hand, it really sounds like a master hand, and you you know exactly what I'm talking about here. <laughs> yes, yes, I do. <laughs> from from uh, Super Smash Brothers universe. Yep. So I, I love Super Smash that was all I could think of while you were while you were reading that spell. That's exactly <laughs> what it is too. Like you're completely on point. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. Newsflash: There's a new secret layer, <laughs> Super Smash Brothers version with master hand. That's hands. awesome. Oh, Don't my. joke about that. That's amazing. <laughs> we should do it. <laughs> Wizards, get on it. There would be First so many. There would be so many things they would have to to get the licensing for for that yeah. one. Anyway, I'm oh, I I'm very sure someone will will put at least a, an altar or proxy up of of that very shortly. Whenever that card gets uh, revealed, so you've heard that first mm -hmm. here first, people. Um, honestly, I, I know most of these are spells, so yeah. I'm going to assume that they probably have something to do with whatever common or uncommon they're on. Very likely instants mm -hmm. or sorceries, maybe a creature, but, uh, you know, I, I'm going to assume it's mostly flavor text um, for something that's happening on the card for a fairly ho-hum draft card. So <laughs> I don't really know exactly what to make of these. Well, those ho-hum draft cards are my favorite cards to play with in EDH, so <laughs> I'm excited. I'm probably going to 
I'm for sure my goal is to cast Bigby's hand at some point. That's uh, that's a goal of mine. You want to talk about creature types well, to wrap what's up? It, what's his flavor words? It doesn't mean that the spell is called that. That's true. Yeah, it could be a different. It's for sure going to be some sort of different spell. Well, I mean, cast Bigby. If there's anything we've we've learned, Peter, from AFR, it's that these are abilities on a card. So it's not like traditional flavor text as we see. This is going to be an effect, an ability on typically a creature, but sometimes on other permanents. Yeah, and... like Bigby's hand probably is going to appear on some sort of wand artifact, I would imagine, that has a couple different spells loaded onto it. Mm -hmm. So and... like, uh... yep. And Vicious Mockery is obviously going to be on a bard of some kind. Yeah, so... yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect example. Yeah, and devour intellect, like you said, we're probably gonna be, we're, we're definitely gonna be seeing flares in this set, so yeah. that that makes perfect sense. But the rest of them, I don't know because I'm not familiar with those spells. So, uh, yeah. All right, Peter, let's move on to legendary creatures. Just as you said, what catches your eye? Uh, elephant angel, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> let's go. Uh, oh, some man. people have already uh, dropped that the character that this is based off of. It's literally in like a holy elephant with wings. Um, I guess the, I forget what the name of it is. Lot, Lotly or something. I don't know. I'm not even going to, I'm not going to try because I'm going to mess it up. And uh, it's, uh, it's like this very adorable little flying angel thing that apparently was the mount of an angel. And that angel uh, had a fall from angelic hood. And became like a demon and the mount's mind was erased but the like now demon angel watches over the elephant angel and the elephant angel you know doesn't know them or recognize them at all it's a very interesting little like kind of sad kind of cute story uh so i imagine the card's gonna be kind of sad kind of cute <laughs> uh but i'm excited for it i do i love my elephants in magic uh, I, I do hope that I don't think there's going to be Luxodon in this set, uh, but but maybe I don't. I'm not super familiar with the world, so I don't know if Luxodon do exist. Probably but, uh, not. I do like my I like my anthropomorphized elephants, and I like my non anthropomorphized elephants. So I'm good either way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. Um, something that's interesting for me. Um. Do, 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 do. And I, yeah, let's talk about the cat devil. That sounds interesting, right? Um, <laughs> it seems like a very odd mixture of uh, of creature subtypes here. Again, we've gotten a lot of cat support recently. Not so much devil support, but I'm sure we'll get some some of that here for this set. So the fact you can have a cat that is also a devil. Uh, really plays in with a lot of the cards we got from New Capenna, but also just a lot of tribal cat cards we've gotten in the last couple of years. And just, you know, seeing a cat devil, that that's interesting. Yeah, definitely unusual. I'm guessing it's an anthropomorphic cat, but it would be hilarious if it was actually just like a... what? What's the cat from Alice in Wonderland? Oh, Cheshire the cat? Cheshire cat, yeah. Yeah, that'd be I would be down for just like an evil house cat. <laughs> I mean, the, the Cheshire cat wasn't evil, Peter. Just uh... oh, okay. I don't know. I don't know that much about Alice in Wonderland. Really? You haven't seen like, the movie? Which movie? I saw the Alice end in Wonderland, of one of the Tim Burton ones. Oh, oh okay. Because you see, you have to watch the original one. Isn't that one like a trip though? I mean, it like really out there. I mean, of course it is. I mean, we're we're <laughs> talking about we're, we're talking about basically just one long like dream sequence. But um, yes, uh, it. I, I, but I wouldn't call the Cheshire Cat evil; just maddeningly unhelpful at times. I think in D and D terms, the Cheshire Cat is chaotic neutral. Like yeah. the Cheshire Cat just kind of does things as it chooses to do them if i recall yeah it so it certainly doesn't really do anything evil it doesn't do anything overtly helpful it just kind of mm -hmm. exists yeah all right peter uh, another one on here yeah what uh do you have a, a creature or not a creature type that you normally play? do you have a class archetype that you normally play uh or have played in the past god i've i've only ever played rangers so that's all i've got rangers yeah. okay 
So let's see. The Vampire Elf Rogue. That sounds kind of like a ranger. It would be kind of. Whoa. Okay, hold on. <laughs> sounds like Peter really had a profound thought right there. It's like, okay. I so think it's like, in... whoa. <laughs> well, because I got to thinking Varys is. Okay, Varys is a human elf. So I don't know if I, I just I'm I'm hypothesizing here. I don't know if Ferris is even alive anymore by the time Baldur's Gate happens. But it would I would be really hyped if they reprinted the the people from Adventures in the Forgotten Realm. So Varys and Hama and Nadar and Eliwick. I'd be really excited if they reprinted them. And it'd be crazy if Varys became a vampire at some point. And like, because in D and D, you can like basically get vampirism, and like it just it changes some of the abilities that you have, and like affects you, and you can't be out in bright sunlight and stuff. So I'd be really hyped if they made Varys a vampire, but Varys is literally a ranger on his card, like he's creature type ranger. So I don't know if he'd completely change class if he got bit by a vampire. So maybe that's a little bit too far fetched, but I did get excited really quick, and I literally pulled my Varus deck down to look and see. <laughs> ah, dang, he's a ranger. Oh man, getting the Audric treatment right there, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are they, they're they're going to do it a second time for a character that no one has any attachment to, and so that they they know they can do it and get away with it this time? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. We we are going to be seeing, and again, I'm going to be coming back up to the top here, about the character we've got a lot of complaints about not being in Adventures in the Forgotten Realms gets a card. So probably one of these. I Again, I don't know the lore of the, the characters, but yeah, I'm going either. to assume one of them is, is included in here, so I don't know. Yeah. Huh. Any other ones catching your eye, MJ? I mean, Dragon Peasant seems kind of interesting yeah. right there. I mean, are... Definitely. Are we looking at, like, Dragonborn? Are we looking at just... Because uh, we sort of got uh, an inkling of that in AFR with... Uh, wait, was it a red common creature, I think? Um, where they hint at that sort of thing. But just this time, actually a dragon. So, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I think it'd be cool if it was a... Uh... If it was a like full fledged dragon that just like lost its horde, like that seems like way too like low hanging fruit for them not to do. Like normally dragons have their giant horde, and this is a hordeless dragon, uh, so that's why he's dragon peasant. <laughs> of course, uh, I think I'm, that would be awesome. Of course, we have seen dragons without wings. I mean, Nadar is a dragon yeah. knight, so he's a dragonborn, yeah. So he, yeah. and he qualifies as a dragon, yeah. So. I don't know. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I could see it either way. I'd, I'm all for more Dragonborn. Um, I doubt we'll get more white Dragonborn, but I'd be super into it if we did. I don't think Dragonborn just need to be red. Nadar proved that. So yeah, I'd be I'd be for seeing more Dragonborn across all the colors. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking at peasant right now for a creature type, and they're all extremely extremely new, except for, so, yep. so they go back as far as Eldraine. So, yeah, that's where they introduced it. Yeah, it, it, especially since we just got a lot of citizen support um, from from the streets of New Capenna, the fact that there is going to be uh, peasant support potentially in this set in, in some form. Though it'd be really hard to to get a peasant uh, lord creature that you know everyone seems to want because there's just a really really strange mixture of creatures. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of like them slow rolling it and kind of just letting it happen naturally. And then one day we'll get enough peasants and you can kind of build a bad peasant tribal deck. And then a couple years after that, they finally give us the Lord for peasants. Like that's that's going to be really fun and satisfying for the people who stay invested with it. And I like those I like those rewards for tribes that are underrepresented and you kind of. I mean, I'm the guy who plays tribal skeletons, right? So, like, mm -hmm. I like investing in unsupported tribes and then seeing a payoff years later. It's really fun. It's really yeah. rewarding experience. Yeah, it's, it's, Buy your peasant cards now is what I'm saying. <laughs> yes, peasants. Um, <laughs> unless you uh, start going through the Monty Python Holy Grail uh, concept for bloody peasants. <laughs> yeah, the, no, that would be hilarious. I would buy that secret layer. 
if they could, yeah. uh, if, if wizards could get the rights to, to Monty Python and the Holy Grail, that would be most excellent. No, it's pretty old, you know. I don't know. What I is Monty Python even in it's not in existence anymore, so no. maybe it'll just become public domain eventually. No, oh come on, Peter. It wouldn't be public domain <laughs> to like twenty eighty or something. So worth it. Worth it. <laughs> but by the time we all have to be liches to still be alive, right? Yeah. You don't know. Yeah, okay. Well we'll be on Mars by then though. So. <laughs> sure. All right, Peter, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. It's been fun having you on here, as always. Yeah, thanks for having me, MJ. Uh, I was super excited to come back on and talk about uh, Baldur's Gate and still sneaking a little AFR chatter, too. Of course, of course. And again, where can the good people out there find your blog on Mono White? Yeah, so if you want to find me, I'm on Twitter whiteboarder there you'll find a link to my blog monowhiteboarder.weebly.com um and you can give me a follow check out the blog do whatever you want all right and if you're interested in hearing any of the previous chatter i've had on set reviews like this or just any of the episodes in general you can find those on the usual podcast outlets as your google's apple spotify breaker or cast box and a million others. I, I never remember all of them, especially not today. But uh, yeah, if you're interested in just finding any of those episodes, if it's a major podcast outlet, you can probably find it there. I'm also available on Twitter at, at MTG in quarantine, where I'm usually just talking about random cards and uh, different deck ideas that randomly rattle through my brain. I'd like to give another huge shout out and opportunity. Uh, wow. I, I really messed that up. I, I apologize. But I would like to give another huge shout-out and thank you to everyone who supports me over at patreon.com slash quarantine. So another huge round of thank yous to Mr. Big Benz, Anomaly, Draco Lucian, Nick S., Infamous Fridge, Frugal Brutal, Jen of the Filthy MTG Casuals, Coach J-Ro, and Geek Beardly for supporting the show. If you'd like to help support the show and help me make more awesome content, Head on over to patreon.com slash quarantine for more information. And again, you can get your own custom MTG in quarantine branded playmat over at Inked Gaming. That's I-N-K-E-D gaming.com. Go over there, check out the links in the description to use my affiliate link. Every bit helps the channel, and I appreciate it very much. And I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the MTG in quarantine podcast. My name's MJ. Have a great rest of your day, everybody.